I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And the second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 to 40. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Is that better? There we go. So we're looking at this topic of, of men and women. I want to tell you a, um, a story that happened about maybe three years ago. We had a young family attend our church uh, at the family service, the morning service, and uh, they were fairly enthusiastic. The church kind of welcomed them. The second time they came, we got their details, and then we didn't see them again. And I um, gave them a phone call to see what was happening, and they told me, well, we've heard that you guys have women preaching in your church, so we've been looking for another church to go to. That's a sad reality, isn't it, of, of the context that we live in um, here in Sydney. And um, as we broached that question of uh, should a woman teach a man or more simply, just should women preach in church, um, we look at the passages in the, in the scriptures that talk about spiritual gifts and uh, particularly gifts of ministry within the church. And what do we find? We find that Christian service or ministry is the result of God's gifting and has nothing to do with your gender. Service has nothing to do with being male or female, just as it has nothing to do with being a Jew or a Greek, just as it has nothing to do with being a slave or free. The Lord gives gifts according to his purposes. And in this uh, letter, um, these readings from 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church there, it's a whole section on spiritual gifts and, and, and service in chapter 12. And we read there that the spiritual the spiritual gifts are given for the good of the body, for building up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not about the person who is exercising the gifts. It's about the God uh, who gives the gifts and about the, the body of Christ that he's given those gifts for in order that we might be built up. Now, we, we see this practically worked out in the life of Jesus himself and in the life of Paul. And as they minister to others, their intention is not 
to make themselves important, but to actually serve others. Jesus came among us as one who serves. The Apostle Paul was prepared to give up everything for the opportunity to preach the gospel to other people that they may be saved. So spiritual gifts are used for the building up of the church, but let me say that just because you have a spiritual gift does not mean that you should use it in the particular context that you're in at that, at that time. I'm sure you can um, think of, of situations where it may not be appropriate for you to exercise your gift or perhaps there's already people doing that service in the church and there's no room for you at the moment to fit into that area of service. That's generally, let me get a bit more specific about um, this topic of, of women preaching. Um, when I first started ministry, I was the assistant minister at, at Dundas um, as we drove home from Hamish and Pree's wedding last night. You see the sign to Dundas, <laughs> if you don't know where it is. Um, anyway, there was a young lady who was uh, working uh, as a student minister at the church. She was studying at college. She ran the Sunday night service, which was, you know, like this service. Um, so she was on the leadership service leading and she preached. Then along came this um, hunky guy named Peter and they got engaged and married and she came to me and she said, I would like you to take me off the preaching roster. And I said, why? And she said, well, I've just got married and Peter's only been a Christian for 18 months. I've been a Christian for most of my life. I want to spend my time focusing on, on him and encouraging him in his Christian faith and I don't think being up front, being a teacher, is the best way to do that. And I thought, what a wise young woman to focus on her, her husband um, and his spiritual growth rather than uh, just what she wanted to do and, and, um, and her ministry. Now, as I say that, I think... There is, there is a principle here that's, that really applies across the board. When it comes to our Christian faith, what is our first priority? Our first priority is to serve Jesus, right? If you don't look after your own personal relationship with Jesus, if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, if you haven't put him at the centre so that the things that you do revolve around God's kingdom, and that your uh, attitudes and purposes are to serve Jesus. If you haven't got that sorted, well then you're not going to be able to do anything effective for him anyway. So get your priority with Jesus, uh, get your relationship with Jesus right as the first priority. What's the second priority? Well, the second priority that I think the Bible teaches us is to get your relationship right with your husband or your wife. Okay, we've been looking at um, the relationships between men and women and most of these instructions that we've been reading are about husbands and wives. It is so important for us to see that God's intention in Christian marriage is to show the whole world what the love of Jesus looks like. Christian marriage is to show the whole world of, of the love of Christ for his people. So when husbands, when Christian husbands and wives get their relationship together, when the two become one, where they, where they can mutually serve 
and uh, encourage each other in Christian things, that is the, the basis or the groundwork for then moving on to ministry. But before we go on, let me say, if you're not married, the Apostle Paul says, that's even better. Because you don't have that, you don't have to worry about that priority. Okay, so uh, Paul spends a whole section in, in this same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, talking to, to husbands and wives, and then he talks to single people. And he said, I'm single. Now, we don't know whether Paul was a widower or whether he's even divorced, but it, he obviously seems to have had a wife previously because he doesn't call himself um, a person who's never married. He calls himself an unmarried person, which means he has previously been married. So that's, I think that's why he has wisdom when he talks into uh, the, the wedding context, the marriage context anyway. But what he says is, if you are single, you don't have to worry about your spouse. You don't have to worry about ministering to your spouse and keeping them happy and encouraging them. You can actually spend that effort in Christian ministry. So whether you're married or whether you're single, um, the, the thing that we need to get first is our relationship with Christ. Then the thing that we need to get second if we are married is our relationship with our spouse. And then the thing that becomes the third thing is to work out our service of Jesus, to work out our ministry, what we're going to be involved in, what gifts we've got, how we're called to serve him in the church and in the world. So Jesus first, then the marriage, then ministry. And let me say, when, when that gets mixed around, it's tragic. I've, I've been um, in ministry for 28 years. In that time, I have had some personal friends who have left ministry because as a couple, usually it was the wife, was, could not really cope with it. One couple I knew very well, you know, they'd, they'd been married for a while. He decided it that he'd go into Christian ministry. She kind of went along a little unwillingly and, and after a few years, um, th th they were out of ministry. I know of two couples who have been divorced because of the pressures of ministry, because the husband and wife hadn't sorted that out beforehand. Now, that's tragic. That's tragic. But you can see how important it is to get our priorities right here and not to think that in some way that ministry is the be-all and end-all. Ministry is our opportunity to serve God in the context that he's placed us with the gifts that he's given us. So what does the Bible say then about um, women preaching in church? Uh, there are only really two passages for those people who say that women should not preach in church um, that they quote. And those are the two passages that were read for us. Um, let me look at 1 Corinthians 14 first. If you've got your Bibles there, I would suggest that you open it because we're going to look at some specific verses and we need to tease them out a little bit. So open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and um, let me, let me uh, read it from verse 34. Women should remain silent in church. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something they should ask their own husbands at home for it is a disgraceful thing for a woman to speak in church. 
Now, how does that make you feel, ladies? What's happening here? Has this got anything to do with you? It certainly had something to do with the women in the church in, in Corinth in um, the, the uh, first century. What was happening? Well, from the context of this, the women were doing something in church in terms of speaking that was um, confusing the congregation and being, being not helpful. So if we look back a little bit, we can see that Paul has been speaking about a number of things and in verse 26 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, that's when you come together to meet like we are, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, but everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Okay, so the, the Corinthians were commended by Paul for having all these spiritual gifts, but they were criticized by Paul for the way that they used them. Particularly um, in a church service, the focus was on tongues, and people thought you were really spiritual if you spoke in tongues. And Paul said, I would rather speak two words that people can understand than a thousand words in a tongue when I'm in church. Okay, so the whole intention is that people will come into the church service who don't know Christ and they will understand the message from what's happening. But in Corinth, someone's got a song, someone's got a word, uh, someone's got a, a prayer or a prophecy and what do they do? They all just stand up and, and want to do it. And the, the church is chaotic. We mentioned this a few weeks ago when we looked at 1 Corinthians 11. The church services were... A, a bit chaotic and into this um, the women are speaking they're not teaching there are many different words that Paul could have chosen if he thought they were doing some ministry thing or some teaching thing but he just says stop speaking it's like you know we're at school and everybody's rabbling and the teacher says everybody stop speaking now that doesn't mean that you're not you know, you never should speak it at all in any way, but it means that, that you're disrupting the, you know, the lesson, so stop it. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, women, stop speaking. You're disrupting everything and you're stopping people from hearing the gospel. And that's why he says, it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church in this way. Now, disgraceful is a pretty strong word, isn't it? But it's not as accurate as um, it might be if we, put, if we put the word shameful in there. Now, what does shameful mean to us? If we lived in an Eastern culture today, we would know about shame culture. The most important thing is your reputation and your name and your honour. And in those cultures, they even kill members of the family who brings shame on the whole family. So what Paul is saying is that it is shameful that people in the church are doing things that make it impossible for people who come in to hear the message of Jesus Christ. It's shameful because we're supposed to be the people of God witnessing to Christ and that message is, is not getting out and it's not getting out because the women are speaking. 
when I preached this at 8 o'clock, one of the ladies came up to me and, and, and said, you know, uh, my mother and I on, our so- on that side of the family have some Jewish connections and we went to a synagogue once and the way that it was set up was that the men sat down on the floor and there was a balcony at the back and the women sat in the balcony. And she said the rabbi was doing his thing in Hebrew and reading scriptures and praying and doing all this and the women at the back were speaking about uh, Mary's wedding or you know some, somebody else who was going out with who and they're, they're all just gossiping. And this lady, Judy, said, I said to mum, can, can you hear those people? You know, those women behind, because they were in the front row or something. Can you hear them speaking? She said, can I hear it? You can't not hear it. They're distracting me so much from the service. Now, add to that in, in, in um, Corinth, women standing up and going, hey, John, her husband, what do you think he meant by that? Okay, because women often ask their husbands to explain things in that culture. And they're yelling out and they're talking to each other and, and it's just a rabble. So what he says is, be quiet, keep your mouth shut. Um, and if you want to inquire about something, because that's what they're doing, they're asking for some explanation. If you want to inquire about something, ask your husband at home. Okay? So whatever's happening there in the church in Corinth, it's not preaching. And Paul is not saying that women can't say a word in church. He just tells them to stop the babble. Back in chapter 11, we heard about how Paul said, women, when women pray and when women prophesy, this is how you should do it. So he's not saying that women can't speak in the church service. Uh, but what he's saying is that they must stop this disruptive behaviour that is stopping others from hearing the gospel. So Paul's concern is for good order in the church. This little section about his instructions to women starts in verse 33, if you've still got your Bible open. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So that's, he speaks to the women because God is a God of order and peace. And then finishing it like a bookend where he's stopped talking to the women in the church, verse 40, he says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So all this disorder in the church has to stop. So 1 Corinthians uh, 13 sorry, 14, is not a passage that you can use to say that women shouldn't preach or that women shouldn't be, uh, w- read the Bible or, or pray in church because they're supposed to make no noise. So now uh, let's turn to the second reading, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to flick your Bibles open a f- couple of pages. Um, if you were here last week, Jimmy spoke on... Uh, verses 8 to 10 of chapter 2 of this first letter to Timothy and then he, he said he'd leave me the rest um, and it's appropriate for, for that because there is actually a change in um, verse 11. So in, in verses 8 to 10, three times Paul mentions women and men and it's in the plural. Verse 8, 9 and 10 Um, all have the mention of men and women in the plural. Then 
in verse 11 and 12, Paul refers to man and woman in the singular. Okay, so if Paul had attended to uh, address men and women generally, he would have continued with the plurals. So because he's actually turned from plurals to singular, his focus of attention has also turned. And um, I think the easiest way to see that is that he ha his focus of attention has turned to husbands and wives in the context of what he says. The, as we've mentioned earlier, the same word for man is the word for husband, the same word for wife is the word for woman. So the in, uh, intent of these verses is to give instructions to husbands and wives. And uh, as he mentions Adam and Eve in verse 13 and 14, Adam and Eve also were a husband and a wife. So whatever these verses mean, it is, it is in the context of their relationship of husband and wife. So let me read to you um, 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 15, with the, with the singular um, in this. So it, would read, it could read like this. A wife should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a wife to teach or assume authority over her husband. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But she will be saved through childbearing if they, both husband and wife, continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Okay, so... Um, some translators seem so eager to save Paul from being supposedly careless with his words and they actually misinterpret this verse. They actually change the meaning of words to try and make it more easily to be understood or, or to be accepted. Um, the Living Bible has this. Let them, that's that is all women, so taking the singular and making it a plural, let them remain silent in your church services. Can you see anything in the NIV about church services? <laughs> no. So the translators of that particular Bible have made this interpretation and they've put it there. And that um, has, there are so many, um, you know, different nuances that different Bible translators have translated here where they actually seem to be trying to help Paul out because they can't really make sense of, of, um, of what he's saying otherwise. And in, in trying to help Paul out, they actually don't do us any favours. The NIV calls this section, this chapter 2, instructions for worship. It's not instructions for worship. Uh, at this particular point, he is giving instructions for husbands and wives in how they are to relate to each other um, as Christians. So the first two verses, 11 and 12 of this section, are, are fairly clear in their meaning. Let me say again, they are not talking about a church service. They are not talking about public worship. The, the verses here, the Apostle Paul is teaching men and uh, husbands and wives how they are to relate to each other um, as Christians. And he says, 
A wife should learn in all quietness and with full submission. Two things. The word quietness is not the same word that Paul uses to say women should keep silent in the church. The word for keeping silent from 1 Corinthians 14 is just, you know, make no, don't talk. To learn in quietness means that your actual uh, demeanour is one of humility and uh, willingness to accept and to learn what is being said. And Paul says, quietness and full submission to your husband. That's really strong, isn't it? The only other place in the New Testament where full submission of, 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 of uh, women or wives is mentioned is in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul teaches about the husband and wife. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Timothy is the leader of the church in Ephesus. Paul writes instructions to the church in Ephesus about women um, being in submission to their husbands. There is something happening in Ephesus where the wives, are, Christian women, are usurping their husband's uh, relationship. And if you read through 2 Timothy chapter 3, you'll see that Paul says there are men around who are speaking to gullible women and teaching them heresies and those things are undermining the church. So in that context, but even in a general context, uh, Paul is saying that the wife must take her uh, questions and her instructions from her husband. In those days, the men were the educated ones, um, you know, and the, the women needed to recognise that and to submit to their husbands and um, not to be spreading heresy that might actually, um, again, lead to uh, changing the gospel message. So when he says... Um, a wife must be quiet. Again, that word is not silent. It's that same thing of having that quiet um, demeanour and, and deference to her husband. So that section there really isn't talking about women teaching in church. It's actually about husbands and wives and uh, their relationship as Christians and um, understanding the gospel together. Now we get to these couple of verses that are very difficult. Um, talking about Adam and Eve. Adam was formed from Eve. Adam wasn't the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. She'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with propriety. What on earth does that mean? Um, I, I haven't got much idea about why Paul mentions Adam and Eve here at this point, but I want to say two things one is he's he's focusing on their marriage relationship and what's proper in that marriage we i can't find anywhere and uh, i can't see any other commentators that can find anywhere in genesis 1 to 3 where they're direct where this is kind of directly um, related to um, yes we know the story of adam and eve and genesis is very clear that adam and eve are both culpable it's not like the wife is somehow, and this is what um, used to be thought of not many, so many years ago, that women couldn't teach because they were too gullible. 
they'd be sucked in just like Eve but I think that is a crazy thing to say from this passage um, um, you know Adam and Eve both sinned and um, what is even harder still is understanding verse 15 which says she that is the wife will be saved through childbearing does that mean ladies if you don't have children sorry you don't make it into God's kingdom it can't possibly mean that can it because we know that that's not true but the word saved uh, is not just a, a spiritual word like you know salvation it is an ordinary word like you can be um, saved from danger you can be saved in that in uh, in that physical way and um, it's quite possible that what Paul is saying here is that the woman will be saved as in delivered through um, that curse of Genesis 3 that was given on, on uh, women in childbirth, that, that she'll be delivered through that if she and her husband continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Um, that's the best I can do of that. Um, there are so many weird things written about this <laughs> um, but the clear context is is not about um, women preaching that's one thing I think that we can that we can be fairly confident of so two sections of the scriptures that are used to support um, the ban or the prohibition on women preaching in church neither of them have anything to do with church so can a woman preach in church as we look at the first century that's exactly what happened it was the norm for women to to teach to prophesy to pray and on the front of the news sheet i know that 6 pmers don't read the news sheet much <laughs> but the front of the news sheet is a whole list of references in the Bible of where Paul calls women his fellow workers you've strived with me in the work of the gospel um, and you know it would be crazy to think that they did that without speaking um, Priscilla and Aquila are a, a special interest because they're a husband and wife team and we are told in Acts um, chapter 18 that they took Apollos aside Apollos was a, a man who uh, became quite influential for, for Jesus Christ and uh, Priscilla and Aquila met him early in his ministry and we read in verse 26 of Acts 18 that they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more adequately. It says both Priscilla and Aquila explained to him more adequately um, the way of God. So that is a clear um, uh, you know, expression of, uh, of Priscilla's teaching of this uh, man who has to, to become quite... Uh, um, a mouthpiece for Christian faith and then finally just as a, as a matter of interest uh, let me ask you to just turn over a couple of pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 reads like this Paul is giving instructions to Timothy and he says and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust them to reliable men who, will also, who are also qualified to teach others. Is that what your, ver your version says? No? no? Some people got men 
Yes, if you're reading the Pew Bible, you have, because that's the NIV from 1984, and the translation was men. Now listen to the translation from 2011, which probably most of you have got. Um, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Um, is you think there might be some women in the people? <laughs> See, it's a general word. And Paul doesn't say, they, oh, and by the way, women can only teach other women, or by the way, women can only teach children. There's nothing like that. That's just legalism that, that is brought in to, to try and support the argument of those who don't think that women should preach in church. So there are no passages in Scripture that say that a woman with the gift of teaching should not be able to preach in church. In fact, in the first century, that was the norm from what we can gather and read from the Bible. Both men and women teaching and preaching in the church, using their gifts with the purpose and intention of building up the body of Christ. Um, I would like to just remind you, though, that having the gift of preaching and teaching doesn't automatically qualify you to use it. Okay, we have to actually work out in each and every context, um, whether you're married or single, what the, what the church context is, what your context is. And uh, remember that our first commitment is to Christ. If you're married, then your next commitment is to your husband or wife. And then for all of us, we need to work out our ministry in the church and to do, and to do that with God's blessing for the purpose of building up his body. So I would like to finish by personally uh, thanking those women who from the early days of my Christian life, from my teenage years, who have taught me and encouraged me in Christian faith. Some of them are still good friends, whether it was um, teaching on, on uh, youth camps, whether it was uh, leading Bible studies, run, you know, having women lead Bible studies, whether it was them encouraging me um, you know, to learn particular truths from Scripture, or even whether it was women who have written books that are there to help instruct all who would read them. Uh, I have greatly benefited from uh, women's ministry and women preaching, and I can't see why we all shouldn't. So let me pray. God, our Father, we thank you, Lord, that in Christ there is neither male nor female. We thank you, Lord, that gifts are given to individuals uh, according to your purposes, Lord, and not according to our gender. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, to help us to work through, firstly, our relationship with you, that our greatest desire might be to serve you and to see your kingdom come. And Lord, for husbands and wives, we pray that, that, they, that their love might truly uh, be a reflection of your love for us so that that is the basis from which they can serve. And for those who are not married, Lord, may they serve uh, in witness to Jesus and his love and grace towards them. And Lord, may we all work together for the spread of your gospel and the building up of your church. In Jesus' name we pray.